Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Hey guys, welcome back to Man Challenge, session number 10. We've got two sessions left, and we're here with my friend Robin Shoemaker. Those of you who have been part of Man Challenge for at least the past three years, I think we brought Robin in to do a series on apologetics. This is Sam Robin. And so since, uh, Robin, you haven't taught here in a while, I want to do what we call a Man Challenge Minute with you. So right. first off, what do you do for a living? Happily, I'm retired. So I have been a uh, software executive at database software companies, was a database engineer before that for, for uh, quite a while. But uh, just retired at the beginning of January, missed it by one year, but uh, hey, I made it. Yeah. What's uh, your favorite food? I'm a, my mom called me a drugstore appetite kind of kid. <laughs> and so I am a burger, good fries, and chocolate shake kind of guy. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Favorite burger in Louisville? It would be Stony Rivers, and if you're talking fast food, it would be the Double Five Guys. Excellent choice. Um, favorite movie? I, you know, this. I, I'm gonna have to confess something here. I'm a I'm a horror movie buff. Okay, <laughs> I like horror movies, but uh, when I rank my favorite horror movies at the top, number one is Jaws. Jaws. Okay, I can. I'm down with that. Um, favorite. Or, or any hobbies? You have any hobbies? So yeah, I uh, I work out quite a bit. I was a bodybuilder when I was younger. I used to compete, but now I just pretty much work out. Like I was telling you, I work out to make sure the clothes still fit. My wife still loves me, and and that's kind of it. Uh, I also am into shooting, so I enjoy uh, shooting different rifles, pistols, uh, things like that. Excellent. And of course, studying God's word. And married, two daughters. I am right. uh, married over twenty years. Wonderful wife, uh, better than I deserve. Uh, two daughters, twenty-four and twenty. Awesome. And you were just telling me that this morning you went from owning two homes to one. Um, so, so you seem a little bit relieved. I am. I'm not straddling two homes anymore. Very happy. Nice. Well, congrats. Now, one last, uh, or two last questions. Two questions. Uh, how many books have you written? My, um, so probably six different books, but um, majority of those at least so far have been in the software world. So database software, either development, administering, designing databases, things like that. And then I have uh, three uh, Christian books. I was a contributing author to one of the Got Questions books, to a book on religious liberties here in America that was just published by Christian Post. And then I just published uh, this August my first solo work, which is called A Confident Faith, uh, that examines the apologetics of the Apostle Paul. Awesome. And uh, you guys will probably appreciate this. I still am giggling about it. Uh, I asked Robin if he had an extra copy, hard copy, that we could bring in just so I could say, hey, you guys should check this book out. And, and your answer was... I haven't requested one from Amazon yet, so I'm, I'm a digital guy. I've got my yes. e-readers, my Kindles and all that, and that's how I roll. You're a humble guy, too, because if I had ever written a book, like there would be like five copies in every room in our house, so maybe that's why I don't have one. All right, so you have your Ph.D. in apologetics. Tell us how, how that pursuit came about. 
Sure. Yeah. So my undergraduate degree is in uh, engineering and uh, in business. But um, when I, I joined Southeast many years ago, I, I started leading home Bible studies and started teaching and, and, and just getting into theology on my own. Uh, but um, as, as happens to many guys, I mean, you have tragedies that come into your life. And uh, we had a small group uh, home Bible study and we lost three of our ladies uh, during the time we were meeting to cancer and to lupus. And one of those women was my wife. Hmm. Uh, she died uh, very young, left me alone with our one-year-old daughter. And when those things happen to you, oftentimes you will, you won't, you may not admit it publicly to other Christians, but you begin to wonder, you know, why did this happen? Uh, what kind of God are we talking about? And uh, that kind of got me searching into some of the big questions in Christianity and theology in general, led me to a number of books uh, written by Norman Geisler and some others who actually, Norman Geisler actually ended up being one of my professors at seminary. And uh, I can't recommend enough. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. If you guys want an awesome book that will help you with many of the questions you might have about the truth of Christianity, great book to get. That got me started. So I, I rolled into and got the, the master's in apologetics and then eventually went on to do PhD in New Testament and all of that. Awesome. So one of the things I love about hearing this part of Robin's story is Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't, he doesn't say everything is good. And just that evidence of how he took great amounts of pain that I can't relate to. But out of that, it led you to pursue not just a degree, but tr an understanding that's allowing you to, to share it today. And so, so yeah. grateful for that. So guys, today... Sure. Uh, and we're grateful to have you here as a guest teacher Great with to us too. So today we're leaning into, uh, we're still in this John, we're in John 17 verses 9 to 19. So 11 verses <laughs> that focuses on Jesus praying for his disciples. You know, he, he lived with, with these guys, walked, did ministry, mentored, model, all this stuff. And these 11 verses are what we call... Um, red letter verses. Now, what that means is if you have a Bible similar to mine, which says words of Christ in red letter, if you don't, it's okay. But uh, if you do, it just means when it changes from black to red color, it means that these aren't words about Jesus. They are actually Jesus firsthand words that are being recorded. And so all 11 verses that we're diving in here this morning or today are red letter verses. They are Jesus talking, um, in this case, praying for his disciples. And in the New Testament, um, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all four um, different accounts of the story of Jesus. And John is obviously the one we've been in the past several weeks. And he's speaking, uh, he's speaking to his heavenly father. He's praying to him on behalf of his um, disciples for them. And so this morning, instead of us reading all 11 verses and then coming back and circling, what we're going to do is we're going to read them at a chunk in a time. And it's basically for you guys that love outlines, you're going to love this morning because uh, we're breaking this down into an outline form with four different um, sections. First is identification of God's people. Second is protection of his people. Third, the standing of his people. And then fourth is the preparation of his people. So we're going to jump right in. The first part is we're talking about the identification of his people here. Verse 9 of chapter 17 in the NIV reads like this. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Robin, unpack that for us as far as what do you see regarding identification and what's significant worth worth unpacking yeah 
So the first thing you see Jesus doing here is he is making a distinction between two groups of people. Uh, the great uh, Catholic theologian, a guy named Thomas Aquinas, said that the task of the philosopher, and by the way, we're all philosophers, you, me, guys, you, uh, philosopher just means someone who loves wisdom, who pursues wisdom and, and knowledge, and that's what we're doing here. So the task of the philosopher is make distinctions, not this, but that. And in fact, there's even a, a, a gift of the Holy Spirit of discernment being able to discern between different things. And so what you see Jesus doing here is he is making a distinction between who he's praying for and who he's not praying for. Um, in some of your Bibles that have section headings, you'll see John 17 called the, the high priestly prayer. Mm. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's acting as, as an intercessor at this point in time in the same way that he does now. The book of Hebrews and other books in the New Testament talk about how he constantly makes intercession for us, much like in the Old Testament, the priests back then did for the people of Israel. And so Jesus here is making intercession for the disciples and guys, keep in mind, he's not just praying for the disciples. Now we're not going to cover it, but in verse 20, Jesus makes it clear he's talking about us as well. Those that would follow after the disciples. So he's praying for us. Uh, so that's the first thing that he's doing here. And he says he's not praying for the world. Now, when he uses the term world, he's not talking about the physical earth. All right? the, the term used in scripture many times is talking about instead a, a world system, a, section, a set of ideas and practices and, and uh, ideals and um, morals and all of that type of thing. And so it, it's the Greek term cosmos. And, and that's what he's talking about. So he's making a distinction between the people of God and the people of the world. Okay. Uh, thank you. That's helpful. Let's go on and, and keep moving. We're going to read verses 10 through 12, um, which this part we're talking about the protection of his people. Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory <clears throat> has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. All right. So verse 10 uh, diving into the protection of people. Yeah. Walk us through, um, starting with verse 10, these, these next three verses and help us understand what's going on here. Yeah. So again, he's talking about us. He's talking about the church, uh, his disciples, both then and now. And um, notice that, that uh, up in the, the prior verse, how he talks about how, you know, the, that the church, us, uh, has been given to him by the fathers and, and that they are yours. And he talks about here now, all I have is yours. Uh, the interesting thing to note is what he's referencing is in Jewish culture, it was incumbent upon the Jewish fathers to find a bride for their son. So they would, they would go out and they would find uh, an acceptable and appropriate bride for their son and bring those two people together. And so that's what God has done. God has uh, brought a people uh, to his son in the same way that the Jewish fathers back then did that. Now, he says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. Guys, I can't tell you how a mind-blowing, what a mind-blowing statement that is. Because think about what he's saying. You have a human being saying to God, everything's yours, mine. <laughs> um, no, that would be absolute blasphemy back in that culture for a Jewish person to claim that everything that God 
possesses is his own. I mean, can you imagine somebody today saying, yeah, what's God's mind? No. Um, This here is a strong statement of Jesus' divinity that you're finding in John. And it's not surprising because in the book of John, um, you'll find no other gospel where more declarations of his divinity that he is God incarnate is made. And you you mentioned earlier the the four different gospels. Why do we have four different? Because each takes a different view of Jesus' life. You know, Matthew, written to Jews by a Jew, quotes the Old Testament more than any, showing the Jews Jesus is the Messiah to the Jews. Mark, written by Peter, or or not written by Peter, the orations, uh, his sermons that he gave and recorded by Mark. Uh, showing Jesus as a servant. Luke, written in conjunction likely with the Apostle Paul to show Jesus as the Messiah to the Gentiles. And in John, no question about it, starts right off in John 1.1, talks about Jesus being God. And here we have a strong statement of that. Um, So we've got that that starts off. Then you've got, and glory has come to me through them. Now, Isaiah 42.8 specifically says, God speaking, I'm not going to give my glory to another. So once again, strong statement of divinity, but what's he talking about here? The term glory uh, in scripture, if you look it up, its literal meaning is a heaviness, a weightiness, hmm. all right? Um, so like today, for example, if, if you're uh, like in a big company or whatever, and the founders or the president or the exec staff comes around, you might hear someone say, here come the heavyweights. Same kind of thing that we're, we're talking about. There's a weightiness and a heaviness here. And what does he mean? It, it's come to me through them. There's a verse in scripture where it says that the, the wonderful bride or a wife is the crown jewel, the crown of her husband, okay? In other words, a beautiful bride brings glory uh, to the husband. People are like, hey, wow. <laughs> uh, and so that's what you've got going on. You've got this gift, this beautiful gift that the father is giving the son, and he's saying, I'm receiving glory, honor, uh, recognition for that. Mm. Um, yeah, and then uh, I love you pointed out in Isaiah 42, 8, in uh, some stuff we were going back and forth is which it says I will not give my glory to another you right. know he's he's a zealous God but in correct ways absolutely um, so let's keep going verse 11 and 12 yeah walk us through that so notice that he's already saying that he's not going to be in the world any longer the 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 um, the tense in this is, is something that's already been accomplished. So God's, he's, he's saying, God, you are sovereign. Whatever you have purposed is going to happen. I'm not going to be in the world any longer, indicating that he's about to go to the cross. All right. Uh, so he's stating that's absolutely a fact. He says, even though I'm not here, they're still here. We're still here. You guys are still here. Um, and so he says, he, he, again, he's interceding for us. He says, I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. Now, first off, Holy Father is, this is the only place in scripture that term is used. And when we talk in about all the home, Bible, in all the Bible, so um, term holy, separate from sin. So he's making a declaration, God, you are separate from sin. He is calling that out um, to, to, to start off with. And he's saying he wants God, the father to protect us now in the faith while we're in the world. And, and as we move down er, uh, uh, in a couple other verses, you'll see him talk about how he did that while he was still here. So now he's relinquishing control, that protection back to the father. And I don't know about you, but this is one of those things where <laughs> it makes me feel so good to know that I have God himself protecting the faith that he's given me. Um, and this is repeated throughout the New Testament. As an example, in, um, in the book of Jude, you have Jude saying, and by the way, Jude is Jesus' half-brother. So he, he was 
the one that wrote the epistle right next to the book of Revelation near the end of the New Testament. And he, he starts off his epistle and he says, to those who are the called, which would be us, uh, that's another reference to the church, beloved in God the Father, and then he says, kept for Jesus Christ. Um, referencing what Jesus is talking about here, how we're kept in the faith by the power of God, which is awesome. Um, Peter says something similar to that in one of his epistles where he's again referencing the church. He says how God's calls to be born again to a living hope in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. Then he adds, reserved in heaven for you. So I talked about earlier how I like to go to Stony River to get a burger. What I also like about Stony River lets me make a reservation. I don't have to worry whether I'm getting in. And we don't have to worry as believers in Christ um, whether we're going to, once this earthly life of ours is over, that we're going to immediately be with the Lord because as Peter says, we have uh, this reserved in heaven for us. And again, this is through the power of God that we're being protected. That's what Jesus is, is referencing here. Um, and he says, protect by the power of your name, which sounds kind of odd. What he's talking about here, when someone talks about by the name of God, it talks about his authority and his character, that, that God is the ultimate authority. So no one can stop him from doing this at all. Um, in Proverbs 18.10, uh, the verse says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Hmm. The righteous runs into it and they're safe. And so we're safe, again, in the faith through the, the uh, protection of God here. Um, and then lastly, so that they may be one as we are one. And so what he's talking about is the unity of the believer and being together in matters of priority, matters of intention, uh, in our defense of the truth, which Jesus is going to talk about here in a, in a few other verses. So that unity is very important. Uh, one of the things you'll see in the New Testament preach against is division uh, in the church. Mm. And so he's asking that that be kept aside and instead we be united together in purpose. Yep. We're going to save that for next, next session teaching. Um, but that's good stuff. So we get down to verse 12 and Jesus says, by that name you gave me. Like, what's the significance of that? Like, what's Jesus referring to there? Yeah. Um, once again, Philippians chapter two talks about how Jesus stripped himself of his divinity when he came to earth in terms of laying aside all his glory and power. And he, he only relied on the father and the spirit when he was here on earth. Um, and so he, he has been sent by the name, uh, in the name of God, God, the father to carry out his mission here on earth. And uh, we used to have stuff like this long ago before we had lines of credit and everything else in uh, early days of America. Like, for example, a father might send their son in to purchase things at the local general store. And they would come in and they would say, I need to buy these things. And they well, wait a minute, what are you doing? I'm signing my, I'm, I'm here on the authority of my father and I'm signing his name to this. And then the, the uh, store merchant would allow the purchase to go through because the child has no authority of his own but he's there in the authority of the father. And so he's allowed to, to move forward with that. So I believe that's what's going on here. Okay. And then this verse 12, I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on how you would articulate this. So in verse 12, when it says, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Yeah. How do you articulate this and in contrast that this isn't um, contradicting free will. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. Because it can because it can sound like well wait it, do we have free will or not? Because it sounds like we don't. And here is if I'm just going to cut to the chase, this is a mystery. All right, it is. Uh, and I used to be very frustrated by that. And I'm no longer frustrated by that. I'm okay with there being some mysterious things in scripture. When Peter's giving one of his strongest orations in, in the book of Acts, he talks about how Jesus was offered up uh, uh, by the plan of God, by the will and the plan of God. But then he says, you evil people put him to death. And so you have the will of God working in conjunction with the then evil, evil free will intentions of the people back then. Is that a mystery? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, but, it, but it's there. Uh, and, and with Judas, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, what did Jesus fail in his evangelistic mission with him? He got 11 and not 12. No, as you point out, this is something that was prophesied in scripture. In fact, what we're, what we're seeing here is it says the one doomed to destruction in the actual Greek manuscripts, it reads son of perdition, which means destined to perish. Hmm. That, was, that was God's plan where Judas was concerned. And there's a couple of Old Testament verses, uh, Psalm 41, 9, Psalm 109, uh, verse 8, that reference this fact. It's subtle, but, but they're there. And this is one of two places it's used in scripture, this term son of perdition. The only other place is in one of Paul's epistles, Second Thessalonians, where he's referencing the Antichrist. And he calls the Antichrist the son of destruction. Same thing. Hmm. That's big. Uh, well, let's, let's keep on moving uh, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read that, but this is the third part of the outline, the standing of God's people. And it, and it reads this, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Yeah. Um, what do you see here? Sure. Um, so Jesus is praying out loud. This prayer is for the benefit of those who were there then and us today so that we understand what he's saying. Um, and so they're scared. They know something's about to happen to him. And he's praying for them, telling them all these things that are about to happen and praying for their protection. Wow, that's going to set my mind at ease if I'm back then worried about what's going on and, and, and what's happening today, even maybe in my own life. So he's telling them that and that they're going to have full measure of joy. That's what you take away from this, um, that, that Jesus himself, again, interceding, protecting, all of these things have been done for us. And then it sets our mind at ease. Uh, we don't have to be anxious as, as uh, one of Paul's epistles talks about. Again, I, I believe it's Philippians, um, you know, not anxious for anything, prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And then his peace, joy resides in your heart after that. Okay. Um, moving, continuing on with verse 14, what would you unpack there? Anything else? Yeah. So the first thing, notice I've given them your word. That's pretty powerful, guys. Um, earlier in John, he talks about how, again, he's coming to the world. The only things he's telling those back then and us today are what he heard from the father. And so father tells him, he tells us. Uh, relaying it in, in a perfect translation. And so takeaway from this uh, for all of us is the, the word of God really is a true gift to us. I remember when I first became a Christian, this book just became alive to me. I had gone to church for many, many years, 
never really picked up my Bible on my own. And it was like, where have you been all my life <laughs> once I got a hold of this thing? So it is a, a true, true gift. Um, but he's, he's referencing the world because we have the world and the words implanted in our heart says the world hated them. And guys, if you want, if you ever want to be humbled, if you ever want to put to rest uh, any arguments people throw at you about how Christians aren't persecuted today or no, the world, you're just, you're, you're victim attitude or something like that. Pick up one of the Voice of the Martyrs newsletters. Hmm. I get that once a month and you will see how your brothers and sisters all around the world are indeed persecuted, oftentimes to the point of death because of their faith. And they do not stand down. They do not back down. And it is, it's encouraging and humbling to read that at the same time. And the reason the world attacks us, we don't belong here. This is not our home. Um, we have another home in heaven. We are passing through, <laughs> as some of those old gospel songs say. And so he's saying, look, just as I'm not of the world, you're not of the world. They're not of the world. And, um, and because of that, the world's going to hate you. And we are given the admonition not to love the world. Um, John, in, in one of John's epistles, he says, don't love the world. Uh, friendliness with the world, hostility toward God, James says. So, um, yeah, I think that's what's happening in, in this verse. Mm. Yeah, I've told my kids before that, you know, to anticipate resistance here on earth. and Because I tell them, I'm like, the enemy attacks things that are threats to him. And yeah. we are, we, in fact, well, I'd say God wants us to pursue living in a way that, that makes us threats to him. You know, if, if we're not being attacked, yeah. sometimes it's like, there's a reason for that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember whether it's in first or second Peter, but Peter talks about, he's, he's talking to the people who are under persecution and he says, don't, you, you shouldn't be surprised that this is happening to you. This is par for the course. That's good. You had sent a quote about Dwight L. Moody, how he wrote in the front of his Bible. Um, <laughs> you know, this book will keep, will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I, when I saw that, I started laughing this week because my dad gave me, uh, not this Bible, he gave me a Bible in college. And he wrote that in the oh. front without saying Dwight L. Moody. So I'm, for all these years <laughs> until you sent that this week, I'd be like, man, my dad is so clever. Yeah, there you is, go. But I'm like, I wrecked ah. that, didn't I? Yeah, he's <laughs> copycat. Anyway, that's good. Uh, you good to move on? Absolutely. Okay, sure. uh, this next part, we're gonna read uh, verse 15, 19, and we're gonna um, focus in on the preparation of his, of his people. Um, in our table leader guide or in our guides, we have it, you know, protect and sanctify as the theme of today. Well, this is focusing on the sanctification part of his people. So let me, let me pick up in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So, um, like I said, we're, we're focusing on sanctification, the preparation of his people. Robin, start walking us through these, next, these last five verses in this passage. Yeah, so in, in verse 15, he's talking, first off, we're not being removed from the world. I mean, there's, a, there's an event in scripture called the rapture where the church is eventually 
removed from the world. But he's saying, you know, that, that's not what's happening now. I'm not asking for that now. Instead, we're to be in the world. But it's very important that we as uh, Christ followers understand that there's a difference between in the world and of the world. Mm. Just like a boat is in the water, but not of the water. If it's of the water, it's going to sink. And so we've got to be careful mm. about that. Um, but I like what the, the NIV version, which we're, you're reading from, does here. It says, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. Now, in some of your Bibles, it may just say, protect them from evil. But the actual construction in, again, the original manuscripts in the Greek, uh, that, that word evil, paneros, is, is in the masculine tense. So he's referring to a personal evil here. And he's referring to Satan. And one of the things that you see uh, both in the Gospels and in the rest of the New Testament are references to the fact that Satan is currently uh, the ruler of this world. In, uh, again, in one of John's epistles, 1 John 5, he says, we know that we're of God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, when Luke records Jesus' encounter with Satan in the wilderness, he records the devil talking to Jesus and telling him, look, I'll give you all this domain if you just bow down to me. And then he says, for it's been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Um, pretty telling statement there. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that. And then finally in Peter, in terms of the aggressiveness of the enemy towards us, Peter says, you gotta be of sober spirit, be on the alert. This is in 1 Peter 5. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And so make no mistake, guys, the, the lion is not afraid of you. He's afraid of who's in you. And so it's our job to stay as close to Christ as we possibly can. Uh, and it's his presence that Satan fears. And by resisting him um, in a variety of different ways of, of doing that, um, he leaves. He will leave you alone. Just as he left Jesus alone in the wilderness after Christ rebuked him multiple times using the power of the word. Yeah, I think a great cross, uh, our great cross reference verses are James 4, 7, and 8. It's not mm -hmm. 7 or 8, it's both. Yeah. You know, it's, and what it says, it says, resist the devil and he will, uh, he will, he will leave, flee from you. Right. Um, or leave you for a moment. And then it says in verse eight, it says, but draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. It's, it's like this great one, two punch combination. It's not just, Hey, just resist evil. Yeah. Because then you're going to have this void. It's like, do that and draw near to God at the same time. That's just a great thing to, if your dad, uh, if your dad to teach your kids, but also to teach ourselves too, because it's, it's so powerful. You know, Jesus clarifies here in verse 15 that he's not asking, um, that the disciples' lives would be easy. You know, he's not asking God, make their life just easy, comfortable. Um, instead, you know, he's, he's not asking um, for, for them to be taken out of the world. Instead, he's, he's asking for the world to be taken out of them. Yeah. And I think that can be tricky. You know, you, you talked about to be in the world, but not of the world. I love that boat analogy, a uh, yeah. hole in the boat. Um, and I just, I'll say a word here, fellas, and I'm saying it to me too, as, as Christian men, our lives get self-induced messy and complicated and frustrating when we try to pursue being of the world and still look more like Jesus. It's like that, that dog won't <laughs> hunt. And, uh, and I know that because I've tried that before. Um, it's an oxymoron. And so I think it's that, and that's a constant. It's why us linking arms uh, as man challenge groups with other men who are on the same mission as us, it just helps us, as one of my friends has said before, pursuing living an integrated life. 
Um, and you can't do that when you got one foot being of the world and one foot trying to um, look more like Jesus. And so let's keep moving on verse 16. What do you see? Yeah. So one of the things to notice when you're reading your Bible is watch for repetition. Mm. When you, when you see repetition, it means emphasis. Uh, you'll see Jesus teaching often and he'll say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Um, this means listen really intently. I'm, I'm really wanting you to get this point. So I'm going to say it twice before I actually give it to you. How many times has he said in this set of, of verses, we're not of the world, they're not of the world, I'm not of the world. And so he continues to hammer that point home to him or point home to us rather, meaning this is incredibly important. Um, again, Bible's replete with warnings about this and, uh, in other places in scripture, it says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, Jesus says, but because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world mm. because of this, the world hates you. And so what does this mean for us practically walking day by day? It means you and I have an entirely different set of values, goals, desires, and yes, God that we serve. Because we know that those that don't serve the true God are serving idols. Those are false gods. And so that's what that practically means to us on a daily basis in terms of our Christian walk. And then moving on to verse 17, uh, talking about sanctification, sanctify. Um, sanctify them by the truth, your word of truth. What's, what's that talking about? Man, oh man. Uh, this is a short verse, but my friends, there's <laughs> guys, there's a lot there. Um, and one of the things we need to do here, I think we need to define some terms. Mm. And so as Christians, oftentimes, especially if you're new, you'll hear terms thrown around like sanctification, justification. We don't, you know, and, and that- We call that Christianese language. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you may not know what that's talking about. So when you hear someone talk about justification, they're talking about how it's a term used in scripture to, to refer to the fact that, that we are declared not guilty before God for all our sins while we're still in our sinning state. Hmm. That that slate's been wiped clean. It's a one-time thing, and it's a, a fantastic thing. Uh, David talks about how blessed is the guy, the man, whose sin the Lord doesn't take into account. Mm. And that's justification. But here he's talking about sanctification. And this is different. And so there's actually two different dimensions, two different sides to the sanctification coin. The first you'll see used, and we'll see this used in verse 19 when we get down to it. The first is a kind of consecration. It's a setting aside for a particular purpose where you are being set aside, again, in this case, uh, for, for God's purposes, uh, God's plans, things like that. And Jesus is going to refer to this in verse 19, especially with his trip to the cross, which is what he's referencing. But in this case, I think we're talking about the second type of sanctification, which is a continual process that once we become believers that is guided by the Holy Spirit, where all of us are conformed to the image and character of Christ. And this is a daily thing. We're, we're not sinless, but as we move forward in our Christian life, we should sin less, if that makes sense. And so um, I firmly believe that's, that's what's being talked about here in terms of sanctification. And the reason I say that is because in the New Testament, you will, he, well, he, he says, how, how are we gonna be sanctified? We're gonna be sanctified by the truth. And when you look at the New Testament, you will see the, the, the terms truth and righteousness used as synonyms, meaning the same thing. And falsehoods, lies, whatever, and unrighteousness used as synonyms. 
And so he's saying that, that we become sanctified by the actual truth of, of God. Um, and one of the verses that talks about this is in Romans chapter two, verses seven and eight. Paul's talking about to, to those who have come to Christ. He says, to those by perseverance and doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. He's gonna give us eternal life. Then he says, but to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth, and here it comes, but obey unrighteousness, See how those synonyms are popping up here. Truth, the opposite of truth, you would say is falsehood. No, he's saying the opposite of truth is unrighteousness. Um, he'll give wrath and indignation. And so that's why I think that in this particular verse, verse 17, he's talking about our sanctification where we become more conformed to the image of Christ. And again, how do we do that? He says, sanctify them by truth. Um, and Ronnie, you know, I feel kind of weird doing this, but we're living in a day, I think we need to define truth. Hmm. I think we need to define what we're talking about here. In the Greek here, the term truth is the word aletheia. And it literally means to hide nothing. And, and I find that pretty powerful, especially today in the era of fake news, where you don't get the full story, where things are twisted, kept from you, all of that type of thing. God says, no, truth is where everything is laid bare and you can see it all. You're, you're literally hiding nothing. Uh, and, and that's, again, incredibly important for us, especially today, because you see people who ignore the truth so much. You know, we've come from the era of modernism, which was in the early 1900s, where people said, yeah, we have the truth, but it's without God. That was a miserable failure. And so that went on to post-modernity, where people, that's the true for you, but not for me crowd. Yeah, Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's true for you, but not for me. And now... We're living in a post-truth culture, which the mask is now off. And what post-truth says, and by the way, that was the word of the year in 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary, post-truth. What that means is, I, I acknowledge what you're saying is true, but it conflicts with the way I want to live. It conflicts with uh, the things I want to do. It conflicts with my activism and the things that I would like to carry out. And so I'm going to ignore your truth and push it aside. Or I'm actually going to work actively to suppress it, to twist it, to change it so that uh, people won't understand that truth. That's what we're living in today is a post-truth culture. But truth um, is that which corresponds to reality. That's the modern definition of it. And in this verse, Jesus tells us where we get truth. And it's, it's right here, okay? God himself is truth. And so when he speaks, it stands to reason whatever he says is true. And we have his word, um, the Holy Bible, and that is where we look to for truth in matters of eternity, matters of living, and, and all of that. Um, as I've said many times, eternity is a really long time to be wrong. And I don't want to be wrong about that. I don't want Ronnie to be wrong. I don't want you to be wrong about it. And so you get the truth about eternity from, from God's word here. And when you do, you become, you become sanctified. You understand how you should live. You begin to obey God's truth and live the way he intended. And when you do that, you completely get away from the penalties and the consequences of living a sinful life and, and having that happen. Hmm. That's good stuff. I don't need to comment on that at all. Let's keep moving. Uh, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now let's keep moving through those. Yeah. So there's a term in scripture for 
one cent. That's what he's talking about here. I'm, so here's where he's actually commissioning us. He's actually preparing and commissioning us and sending us out. Uh, the word for one cent is, and you, you know it, it's apostle. Uh, we talk about, you know, the apostles or the apostle Paul or something. That's one cent. What we don't realize oftentimes is Jesus himself is an apostle. And in fact, this is called out in, in the third chapter of Hebrews, where the writer says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our, conf- our, uh, of our confession. So we're apostles with a little a, he's the apostle with the big A. And then I've sent them into the, the world. Again, nice text for the mission of the church, right? We're mm-hmm. being sent into the world with the good news of the gospel. Yeah, so what advice do you give for us men who, who are um, to to truly live, pursue a tan, in a tangible way, living this out, like how we're being sent in the world without being of the world. Like, what have you found in your own life? Like, that's a helpful combination because that can be a that can be a slippery slope at times. Yeah. Um, again, today people almost take offense when you begin to talk to them about matters of spirituality, unless you've won them over as someone that can be trusted or whatever, and then you begin to bring these types of things up and, uh, and, and then they're more acceptable. I think it's a matter of, again, ensuring that you yourself are prepared by staying in the word, church, prayer, all of that type of thing, and ensure that, that you are ready to make a defense of the gospel uh, out in the world. That's actually what the, the term apologia means, apologetics. It means a defense of the gospel and being able to go and, and make that defense. But I think you just are, 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 as the Bible says, innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. You mm-hmm. look for your opportunities to be able to, to bring uh, some gospel truth to people's lives. Mm, that's good. And then how would you wrap this up with verse 19? So now here is that, second, or that first form of sanctification, where it's a consecration. In fact, some of your Bibles might actually say, I consecrate myself. So Jesus is, is saying, I'm setting myself aside right now for something so that they too may be truly sanctified. And, and I, it doesn't say it here, but I really believe that what he's talking about is his death. I think he's, because he's talked about that before, high priestly prayer, I'm knowing going to the cross, I'm interceding for my disciples and, and us today. And I believe that he is saying, I am sanctifying myself right now, setting myself, consecrating myself for the cross so that you will be sanctified. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in within uh, or rather the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you and begin to create that conformance to the character of Christ himself. I mean, we get truth in three ways. We get it through his word, we get it through the son, and we get it through the Holy Spirit, who's also called the spirit of truth in scripture. Hmm. That's really good. Um, man, I appreciate you helping us unpack this. You know, when we step back, I think this passage is a beautiful picture of uh, that reveals Jesus' love for us. You know, and... If you're not familiar um, with this, Jesus in scripture is referred to as the bridegroom um, by, by God the Father and the church. And obviously we are the church. It's not a building. We're referred to as the bride. You know, it talks about that in Ephesians 5. And, and here in this passage, um, it's almost like Jesus is, it's almost like a reversal of a wedding process. It's almost like, okay, God, you walked the bride down and, and gave her to, gave her to me. And now I'm giving, I mean, it's about, mm-hmm. and don't overthink that analogy because it would break yeah. down even in Kentucky at some level. <laughs> but I do think if you step back, like that's just kind of like, that's just helpful with seeing that, that, um, 
yeah. Grant Roth, our, our men's resident, he was, we were talking about that and he brought that up and I just thought that was good. But also I want to circle back to one other thing, you know, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's also praying for us. Um, this, this prayer is applicable to us. And when he's talking the part in our outline about God's protect, you know, protect, protect them. I want to, I want to use this umbrella to illustrate something. Um, so hang with me for a minute. John 14, 6, Jesus says a few chapters earlier, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when he's praying to God, the Father here, would you protect them, protect them? He's talking about um, these believers. And so I want to use this. I know I'm indoors and and forming all kinds of curses on myself, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) So in order for us to be, to live under God's protection, we have to do a couple things. You know, according to Jesus, you know, he came to this earth, died on the cross to save us from our sins, was rose from the dead. And so when he says, I'm the only way, the truth and life, no one comes to fall excepting me. We have to accept that according to scripture to move us from being out on our own and out of God's protection to uh, when we bend a knee and we put our faith and trust and say, God, you, Jesus, you are my savior. You know, I'm a sinner saved only by your grace. What that does is it moves us from good luck to it puts us under God's protection. Now, for clarity, that doesn't mean when you're under here, it's all rainbows and butterflies. Everything goes your way. But what it does is it gives us this peace that scripture talks about, and it gives us this hope, and it allows us to walk in truth. And the more we do that, the more we realize, man, to live any other way just seems crazy. And so guys, um, we know we, we got a lot of you guys coming who are, you know, best, what would best describe you is, man, I'm, I'm just kind of checking this whole Christianity thing out. And I just want to encourage you, man, with your table leader, um, with us, ask the hard questions. Um, you're in, you're in good company. There's no dumb question that you have, um, that isn't worth That's in fact, the only dumb question is the one you have and don't ask. So ask away. Don't risk that. Man, if I ask this, I'll get kicked out of my man challenge group or whatever. (laughs) But guys, it's all about Jesus, which is why we're not just putting a talk together and then throwing in a few scriptures. It's like, we want to get into what Jesus is actually saying because he is meant to be our model. And so I want to encourage you, if you're currently, this isn't a pressure sales talk. This is truth. We talked about defining truth. What is true? It was true 2000 years ago. It's still true today is that Jesus is the only, only way to the father. He's the only way to have a life full of peace and one that has hope, not just on this side of the grave, but on the other side of the grave as well. And so if you're walking outside of that, I, I implore you to, to lean in, to put your pride and ego aside and accept him as savior and Lord. And it will, it, it will allow this sanctification process to play out. And it also puts you under God's protection. So if you're sitting there going, man, I, I don't even know that I understand what you're talking about. Talk to your table leader, uh, reach out to our men's staff. We're glad to follow up with you, but uh, promise you that's a conversation we'd love to have with you to help you um, as we're, as we're pursuing uh, this whole, this whole Jesus guy who, who is, who he claims to be. And so Robin, special thanks to you sure. um, for your time today. I want to lob up uh, two questions. We'll throw it on the screen here when we're done, but uh, for you to unpack here at your tables. One is what is one specific and intentional way you are l- pursuing living in the world without being of the world? You know, uh, we're trying to prevent all of us from, from becoming, we stink 
man challenge groups, it's important that we high five uh, intentional progress, not to make it about us, but, but we need to cheer each other on. And then contrary, what's one specific area of your life you struggle to ask um, or, or you, you're struggling in living un, in the world without being of the world. So it's, so it's a, what's something we can high five and what's something that you need accountability on. Uh, we are stronger together, fellows, when we are linking arms. And so uh, let's unpack those questions and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.